Sounds good up here. Hopefully it sounds good back there. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service today, and as you can see, we're going to be having communion. So the message will tie in with the communion service. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this gathering. Thank you for the love that each person here has for you and for each other. And as we gather to the table a little bit later on, we know that you will be there serving us and ministering to us. So help us come to a deeper understanding of what this communion service means, Lord. And uh, we give thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to a scripture back in Hosea chapter 2. This is in the Old Testament, the first of the minor prophets. Uh, I want to talk about one of my favorite themes in the Bible today. And that is the theme of marriage, more precisely, engagement. Because it has a lot to do with our relationship with God, as it did with the relationship that ancient Israel had with God. Uh, we know that God was the one who instituted marriage. Uh, you know, uh, again, we have a lot of people who in our society don't believe in God, but yet they're married. So they're participating in an institution that God actually ordained. And uh, he talked about his relationship with ancient Israel back here in Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And notice what he says here to Israel, talking about the relationship that he wanted to have with them. Jesus said here in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, let me see here, Hosea 2, am I in the right place here? Let me read to you though what, what I have written down here, it's 19 rather, Hosea 2 verse 19. He said to Israel, I will betroth you to me forever. And betrothal of course is the Old Testament and the ancient form of engagement that we have today in our society. God says to Israel, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. So, one of the reasons that God instituted marriage between a husband and a wife is that it pictures the relationship that God himself had with ancient Israel. And of course, we know that ancient Israel did not prove to be truthful in its relationship with God. It sought after other religions and other gods. And as God described it, they played the harlot with God and they broke the relationship that they had with him. And unfortunately, they went through a lot of suffering and finally uh, destruction of Jerusalem, invasion from uh, other armies. Uh, they paid the penalty for breaking their relationship with God. And because of that, that relationship that God seeks was now offered to the church in the New Testament under the terms of the New Covenant but just pause and see the relationship that God longed to have with Israel. He says, I will betroth you. You know, you will be my wife. I will be the, your husband. I will betroth you to me forever. 
So that's God's goal, this relationship, this marriage, this engagement leading up to marriage that God now wants to have with the church is meant to last forever. And he will betroth in righteousness, justice, in love, and compassion. So this is the relationship, the marriage relationship, that he longs to have, that he now offers to the church and to each one of us to participate in. He says, I'll betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. So this whole relationship, this marriage concept that God wants to have with us now, leads us to knowing God. It's a relationship that he wants to deepen more and more. He wants us to grow in our love for him as he is in love with us. Okay, so now we bring it to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Like I said, this was God's desire in his relationship with ancient Israel. But they turned from God and they sought other gods. Now notice what Paul says to the church at Corinth, and in a sense it applies to all Christians, all churches, talking about the body of Christ as the bride of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 2, Paul speaks to the church members there. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Why does he say this? Because some of the members of the church were you know, drifting away, we're seeking other gods, we're maybe falling back into old ways of life. And Paul was upset. He was on fire here. And he says, don't you know, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So as long as we remain dedicated in our relationship to, to Christ, we're looked upon as a virgin ready to be married to him. We're in an engagement to him. We're betrothed to him. And Paul was able to see that, and he wanted the church members to understand that too, that God has betrothed us to him. And we had the freedom to enter into that relationship, or we could reject it if we wanted to. But uh, we're promised to one husband, to Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted to present his congregations to Jesus. And so I feel the same way about all of you. You know, we have a church family here. We have a group and we're on a journey. We're on a journey to eternal life. Now, Anna Provet has already completed her journey. We're still on the journey. We're still on this earth in the midst of this society slugging it out, trying to live the, the right way, trying to, to stay close to God and draw closer to Him every day, we realize we're in this relationship. And just as Paul wanted the Corinthians to do, he wanted uh, them to remain loyal in their relationship to Jesus. Because Paul saw the church members as engaged to, to Jesus, looking forward to a, an upcoming wedding with Him. Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride, and we all participate in that individually. So, I did some studying into the history of marriage, as far as the Jews were concerned. I got a lot of my information out of the Jewish encyclopedia, and also some uh, Jewish writings from Jesus' time. 
And it was really eye-opening to see the uh, comparison between the way God intended marriage to be back in Jesus' day and our relationship with God as church members today. So I've got several steps here, and we'll give the first part of this sermon today and tie it in with our communion service. But when it came to marriage in Jesus' day and even back before his time in ancient Israel, marriage started off with the selection of a bride. So this is step number one in the process, selecting a bride. Uh, times were different back in Jesus' day. It was quite customary for, you know, if I was about to get married, my father would arrange the bride for me. Now, today, I don't know if I'd go for that because I don't know if my father's had the same taste in women as, as I do. But I know that my, my father loved my wife very much, and he was very pleased with my decision to, to marry Mary. <laughs> but back in Jesus' day, it was more the responsibility of the father of the groom to set up the marriage in advance. So the selection of the bride was performed by the groom's father. Uh, he chose who he thought would be best for his son. And the woman that he chose always had the right to reject, you know, his plans for marriage for his son to her. So it wasn't like this marriage was forced upon her. She had free will and uh, she had the ability to reject the offer. But that's how the selection process started. It was a matter of the father of the groom choosing the bride for his son. And now this ties in with something that Jesus said when it comes to our relationship with him and how it began. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 44. We're in relationship with God right now through Jesus Christ. And how did that start? How did it happen? Why are we here in church worshiping God and we love him and we depend upon him? How did this relationship start? Well, Jesus gives us a hint here in John 6, verse 44. Uh, Jesus had just said something that was very profound. He said to the crowd there, uh, made up of, of Jews, I'm the bread of life. And when he said that, I'm the bread of life, a lot of people started to complain and reject him and uh, you know, just reject what he had to say. So Jesus sensed this and he realized that these people that are making fun of him now because he said that he was the bread of life, He's trying to instruct the apostles that, you know what, <laughs> these people are not really being called right now. That's why they're rejecting me. That's why they don't believe me. They don't believe that I'm the Son of God and the, the, the promised Messiah. So notice what Jesus said to them in John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. So here's Jesus preaching. These people are, you know, hollering out at Jesus, how can you say you're the bread of life? We don't believe you're the bread of life. We don't believe you're the son of God. So Jesus turns to his apostles and says concerning these people who are criticizing him, you know what, nobody can come to me except their father who has sent me draw him. And obviously God has not drawn these people. That's why they don't believe what I'm saying and that's why they're rejecting me. But this is a profound truth here. The only reason we came to salvation 
in Jesus Christ. The only reason we're here and so many billions of people in the world aren't here because they don't believe, the fact is that the Father has drawn us to salvation. And he is not in the process of drawing those people right now. Have you ever wondered about that? I know I do on a regular basis. You know, I look around the community and I see churches and I, I'm, I'm asking, why aren't these churches growing? Why aren't, you know, the, the rooms overflowing with people so that they can't even hold them in, in the building in which they're meeting? Well, it's God's business. In order for us to come to salvation, there has to be a drawing by God the Father, drawing us to Jesus Christ. And obviously, he is not in the process of drawing all people right now, but I thank God that he has drawn me, and that he has drawn you, and that you've responded. Nobody forced you into a relationship with God. You responded and you chose and said, yes, I'll come. So I've often wondered about this when it comes to salvation. How does it start? Who initiates it? Now the fact of the matter is, people do not come to Jesus strictly on their own initiative. You can't just decide one day, well, I've, I've decided salvation's for me, I'm ready, God, here I come, ready or not. It doesn't work that way. There is a drawing of you on the part of God the Father. He doesn't force you, he doesn't strong arm you, but there is a drawing that takes place through the Holy Spirit. And we have the choice to either accept or reject it. No, you ask the question, all these people out here who don't go to church, who don't believe in God, have they rejected God? Well, maybe in some cases, yes, but I think in a lot of cases, they have not yet been drawn by the Father to Jesus Christ. I think that there's a time in the future when there's going to be a great drawing. But God has decided that now is your time, and now is my time. And thanks be to God that we chose to respond and to accept that offer of grace. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, verse 6. Ephesians 1, verse 6. When exactly did God decide to draw you? I think that God has a plan in place for everybody to hear the gospel. Whether it's now, whether it's in the future sometime, I don't know. But it does say here in Ephesians 1, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Okay, that's, that's Jesus Christ. Uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So his plan was to call us at some time in the past. There's a scripture that says before the foundation of the world. That's when our calling took place. And it just kind of blows you away to consider that our choice by God took place before the foundation of the world. Now, does that in involve everybody's calling? Well, it certainly involves our personal calling. God knew us way back when, before we were ever born, and he knew the time when we would be called. So, he selected his bride. The body of Christ, the church as a whole, but us individually as well. 
God's calling is a combination of the Father's sovereignty. God the Father decides when we're to be called, but it also involves our free will because we can either accept or reject the calling. And like I said, we're sitting here today because we have accepted that calling. And your calling began with God the Father himself, and he drew you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's, that's just unbelievable to me, but it is true because God's word says it. Amen. When you think that that God who created this whole universe knows you personally and decided when exactly he was going to draw you to Jesus Christ, but like I said, then you had free will and you could either accept or reject. And I'm so glad that I accepted it because this relationship that, that I've had with Jesus Christ is so awesome. And it continues to grow more and more and more day by day. It never ceases and it never comes to an end. And I've described it to, you know, human engagement like we have in our society today. It's not like it was back then. It's different today because there's less of a commitment, it seems, uh, between a couple today. When my wife and I met and dated, the time came that we uh, decided to get married. We were sitting watching a Super Bowl on a, a Sunday in a January years ago. And during halftime, <laughs> I asked my wife if she would marry me. And thankfully, she said yes. And ever since that point in time, we became committed to one another. And our relationship grew and grew and grew. And you know what? It hasn't stopped growing yet. 